0: welcome to conversations with i'm your host jamie thank you so much for listening today whether you are listening make sure to press that follow button so you never miss a future episode you can follow the podcast on instagram and on facebook at conversations with jamie for behind the scenes pictures clips and exclusive content Welcome to my conversation with Anthony Briscoe. Just a note, this conversation was initially recorded in October of 2020. Unfortunately, um, due to my own fault with this podcast, it's currently taking a backseat to my other ventures with NFL and my 3rd and Short podcast, my Greatest Movie Ever podcast and my wrestling podcast, which is GrappleCast. Uh, this conversation hopefully is gonna bring me back into my conversations with, and hopefully we'll have some new content out there for all you listeners as well. Uh, with this conversation with Anthony Briscoe, he is a performance poet, initially from Blackpool, who moved to Manchester. We talk about his first his first memories of performing and how he got into performance poetry. We talk about film. And we also talk um, about his teaching as well and the current climate uh, at the time due to coronavirus and the media. It's a fascinating listen. I hope you really enjoy it. So let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Anthony Briscoe. So you've been in Manchester for quite a while now. Um, like you said, you moved to Manchester. Is it mainly for the, the poetry that you, you've gone there? Like I said, because it's, they always say you can never really be famous in the north, you've always got to go down South or to Manchester or Liverpool, if
1: anything. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know whether or not fame's the end goal. That's mm. that's something I'm still trying to figure out. Because if fame was the end goal, I'd probably be a lot more egotistical than I think I have to be now. Yeah. Um but there was a lot of that, yeah. There was there's a lot of personal stuff which uh, I won't go into just now. Um yeah. but there was also that because um I decided that Manchester had a load of poetry nights and this, that and the other, and performance nights that I knew of. And I knew people who lived here and they're always telling me about nights to do and this, that and the other. Living in Blackpool, I wasn't able to constantly keep coming down. And the opportunity did come up to move. Um, So I was just like, well, yeah, I've always wanted to pursue this career. I got told by someone very close to me at the time when I started doing all the art stuff and the performing stuff on my own, that um, for me, wanting to be an artist and this the other would be um to, to quote them to take the piss out of real artists who are trying really hard and have the ability to basically um and i found that really hard to take because they were very very close to me at the time um, so the opportunity came to prove myself and go right well i'll go and do it then and that's another reason why i moved um, yeah. and yeah there is a lot more nights here than there are in blackpool now that's not to say that there aren't nights in blackpool there definitely is um, you saw me in january when i came back yeah. Um there's like Dead Good Poet Society, there's also Pub Poets. Um, there was the night that I did um the, the Open Mic night at Dirty Blondes. Um there's loads of nights really when you think about it. A lot you just have to find them. A lot of the time is it's not always
0: massively it's not accessible or It's not like mainstream for Blackpool. I mean, if you had the choice which like let's go out for a pub poet night or
1: three shots at walkabout. <laughs> well, yes and no. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I did get that, but I think that, in my opinion, is a slight disservice to Blackpool, really. Yeah. I think Blackpool has a lot of, Blackpool's built on a backbone of culture yeah. and it always has been. That's why we've got the comedy carpets. why the Winter Gardens was regarded in such high esteem. It's why the Winter Gardens is held and they've just got funding. Thank God for that. I'm so glad that they got some funding with what's going on. Um, and I think a lot of this drink culture and this something that we see about Blackpool is it's there, but it's often only there to support the economy that's been crippled by cuts. Um, it's actually a lot more tragic than you think about it, but there's such a good level of, um, level of the arts and stuff in Blackpool. I think a lot of companies like say left coast, um, they're doing the Aberdon studios, the art B and B, uh, there's two, I'm not sure each one, but there's two art and B's. Um, and then there's like, um, what was it? There's like the Hive Arts Group. They are Hive Arts Group. They're, they're another, you know, like arts yeah. group as well. Uh, the Rock Factory. You've got independent artists as well. There's a huge network, but I didn't know that myself until I started doing it and I started talking to them and then everything yeah. started to click. And I think there is that. And, but the appetite of, say, going to see a poetry night with your mates or going to out and getting wasted watching football. There is a thing about that, and I I find that very sad, really, because as someone who is in the arts and has been using the arts for years, and it's my life, it's what I love, and I've always loved doing it, there's this massive disconnect within the arts of, and I've mentioned this a few times, and it's something I feel very, very strongly about, is that the arts has a class problem and an image problem uh, very badly. Um, I'm not sure how much you would agree with me because I know we've been in plays together when we were growing up. Uh, and like, the Beggar's Opera we were definitely in in college. Yeah. Um, but the arts often feels like it's it's not for everyday people. And it's because looking back in the past, you always see stuff like, oh, it's for the gentry. It's for this and the other. Poetry is not for me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why would people write about this and the other? When actually, there's a load of it that is. And I think we do a service by looking at it and going oh, no, this, that, and the other theatre is not for me. It's something for middle-class and upper-class people. And to a large extent, it kind of is because it's often priced that way. And I think what needs to happen is the arts need to be made more accessible. So say the sports or something, it's accessible. Anyone can watch it in, in a degree. You can go to a pub and watch it, but when it comes to the arts, it feels like there's this barrier between you and it. And I find that something that I'm trying really hard to fight against and push back with a lot of my work, so like when I, when I did that thing, it was poetry, but I tried doing making it a bit funnier and a bit more accessible when I did it. And I'm yeah. sure we we'll, might talk about that later, and I've probably just taken five minutes when a simple yes or no question could have done, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that.
0: <laughs> a, it's a, I, know, I know exactly what you mean, though, because um, I'm part of an Am Jam Society in Blackpool anyway, so um, we do shows in Blackpool, but again, it's like 25, 30 quid a ticket for the Grand Theatre, isn't it? um Hmm. and that's amateur or professional it's the same price regardless we're treated as a professional company because we're putting on professional shows as an amateur company so they're paying those prices so who would want to go and pay that price when like you said you can just go and watch something on tv for free or you can go into the pubs and get drunk and watch football (laughs) so it's not really that accessible thing
1: yeah Yeah, and it's a shame because in in many ways, because I'm a freelance artist as well. In many ways, you do have to price accordingly because you've got to make your money back, and there's a lot of you have to invest a lot of money too. And again, it's it's like a problem. I'm not sure how to fix it, and I'm working and bashing my head against wall all all the time trying to fix it. In my view, anyway, I I can't speak for everyone, but like, yeah, thirty quid for a ticket, it is a lot might not be when you do the costings and that again is a shame because yeah. a lot of the time the arts need subsidisation. It needs, you know, money given to it. A lot of the time you see a lot of arts like companies or charities because they're non-profit because they're just doing it for the love of art and just putting yeah. it out there. And I think those things are also important too because people aren't going to be interested in the arts if they're not exposed to it. Yeah. And again, this gating off, people aren't exposed to it. But there's a lot of companies now that are working towards putting arts into communities and bringing arts to communities. And I think a lot of the time we back away from it because again, we think it's not for us. It's too much. It's, it's either art. When you think of art, it's either high art or it's, it's Mrs. Brown's boys. We often forget there is an in between. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. each one's valid and each one, if you like each one, fine, it's good for you. I'm not bothered, but we often, it's like binary and it isn't, it's so much fluid than that, but it's presented to us as binary things. And it's often seen as a, as a as sort of like a, <clears throat> a judgmental thing on a person. So are oh, you like that? You don't like art. It's like, well, actually, there's a lot more behind it. And I think we just need to communicate that better. It's like science. It needs communicating better and not yeah. gatekeeping.
0: Yeah, as long as you is, I don't know, I'm going to say it anyway. Like, I despise Mrs. Brown Boys, you know. Yeah, I do too. It it got got voted the greatest um, British comedy of all time, didn't it? By like Channel 4. It was like, well, IT Crowd is, but okay. I know you're probably going to disagree and say like Bottom or, um, or, yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, IT Crowd for me is like one of the greatest comedies ever made. So, um, but again, they, they still, like I said, they still like art and they're still doing it. Not, not everybody's going to like the exact same thing, are they? And that's what makes civilization work, doesn't it? Like, if everybody yeah. just liked the same thing, you're just going to be bombarded with MCU all the day, aren't
1: you? So... All the time, yeah. But it's subjective, and thank Christ it is, because if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't be getting anywhere at all. Yeah. But, like, um, again, the other thing is, which I think is really important, is comedy. We've just mentioned it. Comedy is often looked down upon as not art or an art form it's entirely an art form it always has been and always will be we need comedy we need satire we need these things but often when you you try and do comedy um and i i I know plenty of stand-ups you know i've tried it myself and all this sort of stuff it's an art form Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time people just think oh you're just being daft and silly and you're like well actually no to make a joke a good joke is quite difficult to make a joke and jokes are often layered they're often got a build up, you know. But a, a joke works. with often um, a basis, misdirection, punchline. But you can explore loads of stuff like yeah. that. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about accessibility, we often a lot of people go, "Well, comedy's accessible, usually." But then they dismiss it. And it's like, for example, like to you, the IT crowd is the funniest thing in the world. To me, it's like the young ones, bottom dads army, all that sort of stuff. And I. Because I've, I've looked into comedy so much, I appreciate the art form and something you'll learn. Or if you want to talk about other things, Commedia dell'arte. As some people, that's like the basis of where pantomime came from. And that was satire, satirising um, upper-class people and different members of society by using grotesque masks and body movements and this, stuff and the other. It has a rich history, but we just look down upon it, and I think that's a massive shame too.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously, like you said, it's quite a... Um... A niche thing like you said with the poetry how did you get into poetry like you said that you did a film degree didn't you you did a bit of theater studies in college
1: um in college i did theater film and media and then i went to yeah. university did contemporary theater at lancaster university and i also did minors in uh, sociology and film um yeah because i just love that sort of stuff that's, that's just what i am now when i went to I also went and I know I'm going to sound like I'm showing off. I don't mean to, but it's, it's <laughs> what happened. I also then went to uh, do a PGC for post compulsory education uh, to teach media, film and film, film studies, media, media, film and theater studies. That's it. And I also taught B-text as well and stuff like that. And I love, I have a passion for it and I want to give that to other people. Again, I, I want to make it more accessible. I want to bring you in. I want to go, this is the world that I love. This is the world that I understand. And it's, it's for you too. Come on in. Let's keep. Let, you know. Come on in. Yeah. Let's, let's let's do this. So yeah, um, I've always been in theatre and performing and stuff like that. You, as I said, you've known me for most of my life. We've not yeah. always known each other, but we grew up together. You know, I've been performing then. We performed in the Beggar's Opera at college and, so and so yeah. It's what I've always done. And just randomly one one night, I was asked if I wanted to go see John Cooper Clarke, the Bard of Salford. And I didn't, and it's sacrilege to say this now, but I didn't know who he was. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, he's one of the most original punk poets in Britain. Um, And I went to see him and I was like, oh, it's poetry. Oh God, what's this going to be like? Because my only real experience of poetry was like AQA crap that you learn at school that no one enjoys because you're forced to learn it. The older you get, the more you can appreciate it when you come to it yourself um obviously stuff like that and then like sonnets in like shakespearean plays and stuff like luckily i do like shakespeare and that so that was all right but i went and saw him and he did a a poem called evidently chicken town and that poem is just the f word followed by something else it's really quick you keep going on and on and on and on and it's really funny and he also did some other poems that are just really really funny and i was like oh i didn't realize this is what poetry could be like and I love doing comedy and I like trying to write jokes and something That like, I write jokes all the time. I I draw humorous stuff usually under the, the Monica some panels and so, uh, some panels miserable, misanthropic, drawn badly, and stuff like that. And because I'm, I'm really into comedy, I love comedy, um, and the Other that I was like, oh, well, maybe I could do this. I think I could possibly give it a go. So yeah. I, I just started from there. And I just was like, right let's write some, because I started off just writing poetry, which, you know, nothing wrong with that at all. I can appreciate it. You know, some people do it and it's amazing. I don't think I'm that great at doing straightforward poetry. Um, Just this, that, and the other. So I started just thinking when I got told that me being an artist takes the piss out of real artists. I was like, well, actually, I am quite good at taking the piss out of things. Like, that's what I like to do. So why not, instead of using that as a thing against me, why don't I just lean into it? So then I started writing jokey things and this, that, and the other, and then people liked it and then I did some nights um, just doing poetry nights and this, that, and the other and I started getting more confident doing the poetry nights and then I was like I can perform more here. I can add this to it instead of just reading it which I never like doing anyway. I don't like just reading things. I was like I'll move here. I'll point here. I'll do this and then my poems started to become scripts yeah. more than anything. Which is why I- don't often put it out to read. Um, they're often more like a script in my head where I'm like, "Oh, that'll be funny." I'll pause here. I'll say this. Move on. And then I started just doing that more and more and more. And then I just got more confident doing it. Really. Yeah. So
0: uh, obviously, I saw you in, in a Dirty Blondes, which was the first poem that you actually did first. Was I know? Obviously, I've seen you do Sold Out and Dad Jokes. Uh, they're the two that I can mm-hmm. come for to the top of my head were they like one of your first ones that you wrote or do you still perform the first ones that you wrote or were you just like, oh, that's not good anymore, let's write better ones. Well,
1: the thing about that one at Dirty Blondes was I was going to do Sold Out anyway because Sold Out's my favourite thing I've ever written ever. It's the fir- my favourite thing I think I've ever made.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that came out of Heartbreak, actually. So that was a poem about basically the, the, the gist of it, the joke is, was I was like, wouldn't it be funny if a man was trying to do a real poem about how his heart's broken, but he couldn't afford to get there. So he had to sell the poem to as many people as he could to afford the train ticket and to get there and back. So how expensive it is. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be funny then if he had to do that and you had to explain at the start, you had to do that, then he would have to mention every product that he's done in there. Like everything's an advert. And then I just worked back from there and I was like, well, it's a genuine thing about heartbreak. It is about me. And I was like, how, oh, and I couldn't explain how I felt them when I was really depressed and sad. And I was like, I write poetry, but I can't do it. But I was like, but I know media and film. and I could give examples of things in the film to explain it. So wouldn't it be funny if I incorporated all that into one thing? And that's where it came from. And so, like, I've done it a few times. And it's just, it's something that I just really love doing. Um, And, again, it's like a part of me expressing myself, but through a way which I think people find quite interesting. And and it gets laughs sometimes. You know what I mean? So I was like, well, sod it, I'll do it. And I was like, I'll do that. And I was like, I'll do dad jokes because dad can live or die on its ass. but why not? And I was... And I he went to on love my dad own. jokes. Exactly. <laughs> so I was just like, but I went to that night completely on my own. I was just back in Blackpool visiting family. What mean? I mean? I didn't know you were there.
0: Like I said, I just came in because my mate was doing some stand-up and I haven't seen him do stand-up. And he, he went to go and do some gong shows in Liverpool and that kind of thing as well. And he was like, I've, I'm going to do this open mic night. And I knew Matt Davenport anyway. So I was like... Yeah, I'll go and I'll support you. So, and obviously I just look
1: around and you're there. So I'm like, "Oh, hello." <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I was just sat at the back, um, yeah. very nervous because I was just I, I I sometimes do open mic stuff and that, or like you know nights for poetry and stuff of my own. Yeah. Because not everyone wants to see what I do. Not everyone. Quite a lot of people have seen what I do, so I don't force them to see it every time. Luckily, the housemates that I live with now, they're very, they're often quite happy to come see it again, even though, and I do try yeah. and change it up and do different things. But yeah, I just came along because I was like, I'm back. There's this night, there's this new bar that I, all the people in the art scene were talking about in Blackpool that I know. And they like, it's a great bar, you should go. I was like, they were like, I, I think you'd really like it. And I, there was an opportunity to go where I wouldn't just be on my own drinking in a corner like a divorced dad. <laughs> like, um, so I just thought, right, okay. And then, so I decided to go. And I got there and, and I just realised very, very quickly that, Everyone that was on before me, because they were like, Oh, you're going to be on at this point. Is that okay? I was like, Yeah, fine. Everyone that was on before me was a stand up. Mm. Everyone. And they were all funny. And I was like, Oh, didn't think that's this kind of night. I didn't know it was a comedy night. Didn't yeah. think it was a stand up night. So in, at the back of the room, I was like, Right, shit, what do I do? <laughs> I was like, Luckily, I, I, I've done jokes and stuff a few times. And I was like, Right, I, I might be all right here. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then I got, Oh, And then I just, the first poem that I did, which is the hand, I call it the hand of hope, um, which is a joke poem. It starts off really
0: seriously, so if I can remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wrote that 10 minutes before I turned up. (laughs) Because like, I need to do something because I was like, it's an open mic night. And every time they go, here's a poet, everyone goes, oh shit. And I was like, no, I want to be a bit different. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I really laid into the, I'm a poet thing? then I need to do something to bring you in. And by doing so at the end, by doing the punchline that I do, I'm like, breaks it down straight away. And then I'm like, my name's Ant, good evening. I am not, you know what I mean? It's it's so self-aware. And I was like, right, I'll do it. And I don't know how it's going to go. I have literally no idea how this joke's going to work. And as soon as I did it, it got a good laugh. And I was like, I'm safe. I'm all right. But then I was like, right. Now I've got to get through these poems, because I did three. I think I did sold out dad jokes and insults. I think I did insults as well, with like some jokes in between. And I was just riffing those, because I was nervous. And I was like, ah, I don't like that. Yeah. But luckily, they seemed to go down quite well. And Matthew, um, Matt, that i on your podcast, was quite complimentary about it, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah. And yeah, I was just doing things on the fly and doing the poems. But luckily, the room seemed to really like it. And I'm, I was super stoked about that.
0: Yeah, and like I said, um, I said, I was there at the time, and I, I can vouch for that. Like I said, the, the audience loved that. I loved that. I thought, I think it was great, because again, I, I only see you via Facebook usually, so it was nice to see you actually perform and do the kind of things they do. so I only kind of knew your poetry side via who we can go on to now is Mr. Pub Poet, Ash Lister.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So um, obviously I know he does these, um, what are they called? Oh, pub no. Yeah, I can't remember what they're called now. Like... Death. That's death. Jams, oh, death, uh, haiku death match. Haiku death match.
1: Yeah. So he does what? Never ever gone up against him with that because I can't write haikus for one. And you just <laughs> one, to be honest.
0: Yeah. So I know one of um, my classmates at the time actually went up against him. Uh, he lost in the final. I was like quite surprised. Like was the first time doing it, but it just seems like such a strange thing because, to obviously the um, uh, to the normal person, you don't think like poetry can come up to like haiku death match or comedy poetry or this kind of thing. Everyone just thinks, like I said, um, her wind blows in their air. Yeah. <laughs> things, just that's what, yeah,
1: I wondered lonely as a cloud and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah. where it always goes. And again, I'm trying to change that.
0: Yeah. And like I said, it's, um, I absolutely loved it. And like I said, Matt Davenport said it as well. And they've even said, I don't know if they've spoken to you since, but they even said that they would happily get you on to actually do proper shows as well when they're back up and running again. Obviously, if you can come to Blackpool, don't know, but, you know. I'd be
1: more than happy to. I I take that as a huge compliment, to be fair, like a massive compliment to me. So I'm really thankful for that.
0: Yeah, but obviously we'll go on to uh, the big C word now uh, with COVID because, like I said, everything got locked down and that's the hardest thing for somebody to be creative and do so. I've seen you on Facebook doing your own little shows and stuff. So, what when COVID happened? How did you find the time to be creative and do everything
1: that you've done? Well, I was furloughed for one, <laughs> so I had time. <laughs> I had time. Um, but um, it was very difficult uh, to begin with. Like, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to say anything that other people haven't really said. Yeah. But I found it super difficult, and like. Um, I, I I've again recently i found it a bit hard as well with the this second wave and this the other for me it's the gravity of everything like yeah. the gravity of it all like hearing about all these deaths, hearing about cases rising and not knowing am I next? Have I spread it without knowing it's kind of like schrodinger's virus like <laughs> you can be asymptomatic and sh- and still spread it, or you can be symptomatic and spread it. Is it a cold? How do you know? Here's a way of knowing. But then the next evidence comes out saying it's contradictory. It's so confusing and scary. And like, for example, I I took the decision to begin with to not come back to Blackpool because my parents are both um, diabetic, for one. Um, And, you know, they also have other things, underlying health conditions. And, like, I live in a shared house in Manchester. And one of my jobs that I do is working with people. And I was like, so I'm socialising, well, not socialising, but I'm surrounded with people a lot. And I, I, I take very, I'm very strict to my PPE. Pee-pee, I wash my hands all the time. I have hand sanitizer in my back pocket all the time. Um, I cut down going out a lot and this, that, and the other, because I want to be as safe as I possibly can, not just for me, but for other people too. I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Um, and at the start of it, I kind of knew how it was going to go. I guessed. Um because at the start in, like, January, when we started hearing about it, I, I remember very distinctly, I was on a tram going to Media City, and I got um, a news alert on my phone saying new virus found in China, this, and the other. And I remember going, this is a bit weird. They've never reported it quite like this. And luckily, because of my background in media studies, I was able to, I'd started looking further and further. I know it sounds very but I, I've got a way of doing it. I was, like, looking further. I was, like, what's this source? What's this source? I was, like, I'm going to keep my eye on this. Yeah. Another week or so later, it started confirming more and more and more. That like spreading here and spreading there. I was like, right, this has never happened before that I can remember. I remember SARS as a kid a bit and being terrified of that and bird flu and swine flu. Foot and more. mouth and stuff,
0: yeah. Was that, that was it never really that. big, was it?
1: But, I mean, It wasn't, but it might As have been. a kid, we probably don't, yeah. This is what I mean. It might have been, but as a kid, we don't really know. And I hope to God kids now don't remember it as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. maybe, maybe when we were kids, SARS and that was actually massive. But we were kids, it didn't make sense to us. And I'm hoping that happens to this generation now. Um, but yeah, and then I remember ringing my parents one day and going, mum, dad, I don't think I'm gonna be able to come home and visit you anytime soon. And they were like, nah, don't be silly. It's all right, you'll be fine. I think you're just panicking. And I do have health anxieties and things. So it made sense, but I was like, no, honestly, I mean this, something's wrong and I can't tell you exactly what it is because I don't know, but something about this is wrong, a couple of weeks later we were into lockdown, and it all yeah. got really bad and like, I one of my jobs is working in the city centre and it, I started noticing people weren't coming in it got really, it got ghost howny, and yeah. I remember one day walking into the Tesco's in the city centre, and I saw two people um putting as much food and as much toilet roll, obviously. And this and the other, into a um, into two suitcases. And these were big suitcases. They were stocking up. Yeah. And I'd never seen that before. and I remember that broke me one day. Like, just one day I couldn't just broke me. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I can't. And then we went to lockdown straight after that and I was still a bit broken from it. I was still like couldn't handle it. It was just mental. Like, and I don't think I'm on I'm, the weird thing is I'm not on my own with that. Um and then obviously that affected my work and my output, and then obviously, a lot of jobs that I had lined up all went as, a, as an artist, so I had to deal with all like basically feeling my world crumble very quickly and like again, not on my own on this, but I took it as in I, 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 I had nothing I had no purpose. you know what I mean like I just sort of let, I just sort of found it I just every day I got up, had a shower, sat about. what can I do? Couldn't really do anything, um. But then, luckily, I decided that I can't do any. I'm not a nurse, you know what I mean. I'm not, I'm not a key, not a key worker, sadly, and anything like that. I was like, well, what can I do? What can I give? Can I do anything here to help? And I knew a lot of my friends were struggling, and I knew, you know, family were struggling, and people were just struggling. And I was like, well, I'm struggling too, but. I can entertain, I think, I can try and make people laugh, and that's where it came from. It, it came a bit more like, a, in my head, like a duty, and that's going to sound really big-headed and stuff, and it shouldn't do, I hope it doesn't, but I came across, I was like, I can do this, I do this, how can I do it now to try and help people? And so my way around it was, it was mainly for my friends, if I'm honest, people did share it publicly, which was nice. Yeah. Um, but because I have had mental health issues and the other and I've I've suffered depression and all this sort of stuff. I I suffered depression for like 18 months. I I'd like to think I know it kind of well. As I was like, I've got to do something that would help me out. How and by helping me me helping me out was creating me helping other people out was entertaining through that creation. So I started doing that, and luckily because I did that, I started getting more comfortable doing it to camera. this and the other and as things started picking up a little bit again it became easier but that's where it all started i wanted to i i couldn't give anything useful so i thought i'd give something that i could give to try and be useful do you know what i mean
0: no yeah i completely understand what you mean it's like um i've been working throughout it all unfortunately because i'm classed as a key worker so you know i had to keep working but i i couldn't just not not do anything like i said um it's what like i said comedians or poets like yourself do like i said you've got that gift you need to share that with people to uplift their spirits because everybody's so down i mean i know what you mean i have had depression and mental health issues as well and um, probably don't show it as much but like i said you try and keep it down to yourself don't you so it doesn't inflict anybody else and that gets you down even more that's mental health yeah. isn't it so you don't want to it's the only yeah. thing that
1: seems <laughs> viable at the time
0: yeah so like i said it was to go out and do that and um, spread that joy. If if everybody did that, hopefully the world would be a better place, wouldn't it? But
1: yeah. people do do it. Yeah. People do do it, and I think a lot of joy comes. You don't have to be a poet, a performer, an artist, or anything like that to spread joy. I think people do it every day. And I'm going to sound like a poet here, and I, and I know that's going to sound a bit weird, but <laughs> genuinely, like one of the nice things you can do at the moment is just be kind. Just be nice to each other because we're up shit creek. There's no denying that. So the best thing to do is just be nice to each other because if someone's having a bad day and this, it seems like a cliche now, but it generally is true. If someone's having a really bad day, the thing they will remember is a bit of kindness in that day and that can make their day. Like I've worked in retail for a long time and one of the best things that can happen in retail is if someone is just nice to you, briefly. If they yeah. say, oh, thanks, mate, have a good day, cheers for helping me out, or, do you know what I mean? like Just smiling at you and being polite and pleasant, that can yeah. change everything in, in a matter of a minute. And I think the one thing that we all can do during this time is do that. And I yeah. think that it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a poet. You don't have to be a comedian. You don't have to be an entertainer. You can do exactly what those people do in your own way by doing something as small as that, and I think that's important.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you do the same as well, like I said, because I've worked in retail for the better part of, say, 10 years as well. We had this, like, hear my voice card so you can give back feedback online as well. And if somebody puts your name in there, like I said, you get that little adrenaline boost of like, oh, like this person's taking time out of their day to say yeah. some nice words about you kind of thing. Um, and like I said, if, if everybody was that, but unfortunately you would just see some people. I don't know, again, I'm going to be derogative towards Blackpool. It's probably the same everywhere else, but you walk down the street, I can't say hello to people because if you say hello to somebody, they'll just look at you like, what, what, what are you doing? Uh, it's, we live in that culture now where you can't go and speak to a stranger. Or it's very rare, you could, you'd be in a park and somebody's sat on a bench and you can actually have a conversation, which luckily happened to me a few months ago and it was really, really nice. But if you're walking down the street and you try and spark up a conversation with somebody, just gonna walk away, aren't they? That's just the culture that we live in now. It's I, I, I get a bus every day with my daughter and we've just sat on our phones all day, like everybody on the bus. Like there's no conversation, there's no togetherness.
1: That is unfortunately, a reality, but at yes. the same time, there's still things you can do. It's mm-hmm. just simple things like someone's trying to get someone to move out of the way or smile. Obviously, you can't now because I wear a mask all the time. Yeah. One of the only times I don't wear a mask is when I'm in my room. Um, and so the other, But you can still see someone smiling with their eyes. And like yeah. um, if someone's trying to reach from it in a shop and they can't do it, as long as you can do it socially distancing, just do that for them. And it's, yeah. it's little things like that that right now you can do. It's a bit more because the paradigm has shifted. It's shifted, mm-hmm. obviously. Like little bits like that where someone's shopping, they're really nervous about shopping. So make sure that you do. Don't make a massive point of it, but do just slightly move out of the way for them, and this, that, and the other, and people do recognise it, people do understand that you're trying to look after them, because uh, when you go shopping now, you, uh, you'll notice, no, not many people are wearing masks as much as people should be, people aren't social distancing, but we do remember and appreciate the people who do. Yeah. So just do that, it's as simple as that, really, and I think that's quite sweet, in a way it's sort of terrifying because we have to do that but like <laughs> I mean it's just one of those things where I think there's a lot of kindness in the world we just don't we just remember the nastiness because it's easier to remember the horrible things that happen than it is easy to remember the nice things we only remember the nice things in hindsight where the horrible stuff stays with us at the moment
0: yeah oh definitely um so with with Covid does this give you any new material or any time to write new stuff about Covid or the virus at all have you managed to do anything along those lines?
1: I did, I wrote a new piece, because I've got a piece that that I've done about mental health, because obviously it is a thing that's important to me. It isn't a joke piece, it is a genuine thing that I, because it was all about my depression and me trying to help people as well, called There Is A Place Beyond The Trees. And um, I did write it, rewrote it for COVID, called There's A Place Beyond This Disease. And the sentiment's pretty much the same. It's saying that we will get through this. There is a place beyond this, and the reason it is the re- so it's there is a place beyond the trees and it is beautiful, I repeat that all the way through and then at the end of it I say there is a place beyond the trees and the reason it is beautiful is because you're there it's me saying that you're going to get there and, and me trying to say like there will be a place beyond this, Th- this yeah. will end one day, this too shall pass but then when I did that I felt like I did enough I don't want to keep talking about it yeah. because for me it's all we talk about now it's everywhere, it's the news all the time, no matter what, it's da, 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 da. it was like how Brexit was, except this one's gonna kill way more people. Um, I was like, remember when it was Brexit, and it's like Brexit, 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 yeah. and that's what we talked about. Now it's COVID, 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 COVID. And I wanna try and give people a little bit of something outside of that. Yeah. I wanna sort of go, this is happening and it's really important. But I'm gonna try and tell you some jokes now. I'm gonna try and do this. And let's just mean you for the next hour, for the next 10 minutes, for the next five minutes, Let's me and you just have this break from it. And I think that's what we need. We need this break from it. Because recently, for example, I've been, I've been really down about everything that's going off with the second wave and everything like that. Yeah. I've got very strong views on what the government have done. I think fucked it. But, like, um, there's something other, but at the same time, I needed someone to just bring me out of it. And the way people do that by just making me laugh. Yeah. And, I, and laughter to me is one of the most important things in the world. I, it, it's everything to me, laughter. It's one of the most important. If I'm if I don't have a big laugh during a the day, there's something wrong. I will have a big laugh at something, and that's what I want to do. That's how I function, and I know that's how I function. Other people are the same, and I just want to give them that. Because if I keep mentioning COVID all the time, all I'm doing is adding to it. when yeah. I want to take away from it, do you know what I mean? Just give you something else.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, this be the last thing that I say. That it's not really um, on COVID, but I know as film student and yourself as well and you spoke about it briefly before, it's the media so if the media have brought it a lot more worse than what it could actually be as well, like I said it's scaring like the media can use certain words and certain phrases to obviously scare the UK into doing all kinds of I don't know if it's just male stuff as well but I think it's not as bad as what the media make it out to be
1: Okay, I would yeah. disagree I Fair, think it okay. isn't bad yeah. I think it is as bad. Um, Don't go, I
0: still follow all the precautions and stuff like that, obviously. But yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. That's a different conversation for a different time. I do think it is as bad, and I think yeah, it's not so much as what the media does because the media does what the media does, and we're used to it. I yeah. think there's two big problems, and I think this is this is number one. The one biggest problem is I think we do not have enough emphasis on media studies in education. And mm-hmm. I think of media studies and film studies, they're often looked down upon. They're often seen as joke subjects. They're not now. Let's, I want to say this very, very, very distinctly and very clearly media studies is the English literature for the 21st century. It's that important. Um, yeah. And that actually isn't a quote from me. That's a quote from, uh, you know him as well. Um, uh, Matt, our old theatre Matt teacher, Jones. Matt Jones. He told me that when I did my PGCE with him, he yeah. was like, "It's that important," and it's never rang truer than now. Yeah. I think we need to be more media literate, and I think the problem with like the the up, the uptake in like um, conspiracy theories and this that and the other is, we if you were more, if we had a lot more media literacy in this country, we'd be able to disseminate fact from fiction. We'd be able to disseminate the, the language used, why it's used, how it's circulated and all that sort of thing. That's really, really important. And the second problem that we have with the media that I would say is, it's the sheer volume of it. That's the problem. It's, you open up Facebook, it's there, it's everywhere. It's like social media is the exact same. It's, it's, it's not just an echo chamber, it's just constant. And because it's 24 hour news, it has to be there and someone's just been run over. We've got a reporter now on the scene. Why do we have to be on the scene where someone's just been run over? Just tell me they've been run over. Why now do I need someone to be like, and here's the smashed up car? Like, you don't need to show me that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a sheer volume, constant, 24 hours all day. And I think that sort of pulls people down to the point where, like, I don't know what to do. It's too much. And because we can't turn off from it, because the amygdala in the back of our brains is that it's that's the fight or flight thing we like we need to know we need to know so we get more into it but then the more we get into it the more frightened we get the more confused we get because we start reading different things and this and the other and that causes problems in the future but if we had more media if we had more media literacy we know where to look properly we probably understand it a bit better and i think that i think we need to invest in in the future so heavily
0: yeah I think that's the kind of thing I was going on about. Like, I'm not saying that, obviously, this virus isn't serious. I meant, like I said, because the media's there all the time, it can uh, it can dissect your views to, obviously, be like... I think the foot and mouth, obviously, if we had media back then, it would have been a lot bigger than what it was. That's, that's the kind of thing I was trying to say. Like, I'm not saying it's not big or it's not, like, dangerous, obviously. People have died from it. But if the media were back when foot and mouth was, it was probably going to be bigger than coronavirus. I think the media are making it this massive, like... Because, like I said, the media are there all the time. It's like there, 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 there. The media just basically saturate your brains to be like, this is all you're going to talk about and this is, is always there. Uh, whereas if you didn't have media or anything, would it have gone by now? I don't know. Because people would have just gone out. I mean, you don't know, do you? But I know, say if this happened 20 years ago, you don't know, do you? So I don't, in my own head, I think about it, but I don't know. Fair I enough. If, if, if I'm, I'm diver- just going completely off topic, but yeah, no, that's not right. <laughs>
1: we have diver- we have diverging views on that, but that's not totally yeah. that's not a problem.
0: Yeah, but um, anyway, we'll go back to um, like I said, the <laughs> um, we everything else. So, you doing um, I can't remember what I was going to say now. So you so how was it when you started it? Like, how long have you been doing? You said that you did your PGCE, but you didn't want to become. Did you not want to become a teacher or?
1: Um, you just, you not just straight away, the poetry, no. not, not straight away, I felt, I felt a little bit like if I, so I, I did it and I enjoyed it, it was hard work, very hard work, because I did it a year, sort of like a year intensive, and I did, I did it, and it was very, very difficult, and it was really, it was one of the hardest years of my life, uh, doing it, um. Just out of curiosity, so where did you
0: do
1: it? I did it in Blackpool 6 form. I did you, because I'm
0: doing it now, at the back of the foul.
1: Yeah, I, I did. Uh, so I, I lived in Liverpool at the time for a year and I did it at Edge Hill University and then my placement was back in Blackpool. So I went to, to Edge Hill University, got a place to live in Liverpool and they sent me back to Blackpool, which was really <laughs> annoying. Yeah. Um, but it was a great experience because luckily I knew, the stu- I knew the teachers because I'd been there and they knew me. Um, and Matt, Matt Jones was my uh, mentor which was great yeah. because I knew him and he was brilliant. He, he's the reason I kept going because I found it so difficult, but he was constantly supportive, always always ready to help me and all this sort of stuff, yeah. not a problem. And the whole media and visual department were brilliant with me. They, they were so good. Yeah. And um, so I did it. And I remember when I finished, I was like, oh, that was, that was difficult. And I wanted to take some time off anyway because I was absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Um, but then I thought about it and I was like, I've just done four years of university and then I could go teaching but I'd just be basically regurgitating everything I've just learned. Yeah. so like I hadn't had any experience in the field that I wanted and I've always been a performer and I've always wanted to be a, originally I always wanted to be an actor that's what yeah. I always wanted to be as a kid and like yeah. um, I decided that I was just like well why don't I just try and get some experience in the field then like why don't I just do it and then i can then go to the students afterwards and go here's what i did here's what worked here's what didn't and yeah. that's one of the reasons i started doing it i was like well why not do it then i was like i'll keep going and then i did um randomly once my mum got an email and the email was for um artists um in blackpool to go on this artist course it was like a self-development course and my mum was like oh you should do this you're an artist aren't? and i was like no nah, no nah, i'm not that's ridiculous don't be stupid um, my mum was like, "No, do it." And I was like, "No, I'm not an artist, mum. I just draw things, and this and the other. But I wouldn't count myself as an artist, artist, because I didn't understand what an artist was. Yeah,
0: you really? just think it's just basically a painting and a canvas. That's what if you think what an artist is, it's a, it's a drawer, Straight isn't away, it?
1: Yeah. stereotypical yeah. is that, and that's not what I do. And then um, so I didn't understand. My mum forced me in there. She was like, "Right, it, get you'll get on." <laughs> I was like, "All right." So I I did it, and I was just like, "Right, get you off my back. It'll be fine." And then i got a call and they were like oh we really like what you said we think you'd be good for this uh, could you come in for an interview and that was with left coast blackpool and it was i was like okay went for an interview i had to go when i was on my lunch from work once i had to literally take off my uniform put on a suit and go and then come back and then go back to work and i got a call that night saying we'd like you to come aboard we'll pay for you to do to go here and something. You know, i ended up going around the northwest on different weekends for like uh, yeah. artists residencies and things and during the course of that, um, the people I were with, the other artists, and something, a few from Blackpool, a few from Briarfield, a few from like, St. Helens, and we went and stayed in all these places. We even stayed in Blackpool for a weekend, and this that, the other. They were some of the first people ever, if you weren't my parents, who would do it anyway because they're very supportive, who were basically like, no, and you you are an artist, you do this, you do that, you could do this, and it was amazing to have people believing me in that way,
0: yeah.
1: and I decided one day there and then, all right, let's give it a go, and a few years later, I'm still doing it, and it's it's a very difficult place to do things, I have to find work a lot, and I, I do make work, and the not but then, because I did it, a few people got to know me, and because they knew me, they were like, oh, you might be good at this, and I, I got recommended to a few things, and then, I did my first ever real art thing that I did was I sat, in, um, I sat in Barber's in South Shore at Revo and I listened to men talk about things while um, they were getting their hair cut and it was about mental health and things and I wrote a poem about what they did and I did a workshop with them about writing poetry and using it as an expression um, rather than seeing it as this flowery thing. Write it, it doesn't have to be no one has to read it, but it's a good way of writing down how you feel and being as expressive as you want with it, and it's valid. And then I ended up doing um, an animation of a little Martin windmill at the edge of um, Merseyside, yeah. parts of the illuminations, and it was people who just was like, "No, you can do this." And having that was insanely useful. And I think that's what we need um, for def- definitely for students and things. Like um, I'm sure we're going to go into it, but like the arts at the moment are in a dire situation. And I think a lot of the time it's a lot of things that students need especially kids and that is just to be told you can do something
0: yeah especially like said touch, touching on that now um with the art everything that's gone at the moment saying it's not a real profession or anything like that i mean i love the um they've started doing that for team i thing, haven't they whatever it is
1: well actually that's that is friend. an old that's an old uh, poster from i think a couple of years ago about um I looked into it, and it was about digital. And it was like an initiative to get people into cyber jobs. Yeah. Cyber. Uh, digital jobs and jobs within that industry. And it's just come about again now because I think someone found it and you were like, Oh, well, this is what they've always thought. And in my opinion, yeah, the Tories have always thought that. So even if it is an old campaign, it's still relevant now. Um, yeah. And even if um, the Rishi Shunak apparently was misquoted... Uh, when he said the arts weren't viable and this and the other but the problem is with that is even if it was a misquote even if it was the sentiment has always been there we've always yeah. felt it. the arts get funding taken from them a lot um the arts is also where so a lot of places that have um high degradation uh, social economic issues and this and the other a lot of places that have lost funding for like mental health issues and this and the other mental health resources often the arts are left to mop it up um a lot of the things that you do if you go for like a socially engaged art practice thing a lot of it is around mental health and offering sort of like a mental health service through art and I and we're not artists aren't always qualified to do that but it's what sort of gets left to them um and I think it's always been sort of seen as arts just drawing pictures and this that and the other it's it's not real it's not a real profession when mate I can tell you it it is it's hard work I'm self-employed I do my own tax returns you know what I mean I find work I write I have to go through contracts, I write my own contracts, there's loads of paperwork you have to do, safeguarding you have to do if you're going to work with people, you need to have um, insurance to work with people, Um, your own insurance, or else you could be sued if something goes wrong, I can't remember what it's called, but you have to buy it, you have to pay for it, Um, and you have to do other things, I I could spend hours on on a spreadsheet better than the government can actually do. Uh, working out my finances and stuff like that and you know what i mean to budget things and if i have to do if i want to apply for a pot of money to do a project i have to write an entire proposal we're talking budgets we're talking who i'm gonna do who i'm gonna um who i'm gonna what, what what group of people am i gonna connect with how am i gonna connect with them am i gonna hire other artists here's my breakdown it's, it's very difficult it's not just drawing pictures it's not just dancing there's so much in it to write a proposal to write um application takes forever and not always, you don't always get money and if you write say for example what people don't always understand is when it comes to getting money for like uh, from the arts council or something you can send off an application and you're going to have to take a long time to write this and there's only a closing date you don't hear back about that for months so in between that time how do you live you've got to do other things as well and then you might wait hear back from that and not get any money you might not get a single pound, do you know what I mean? and it's like you've wasted all that time and some people pay people to write these things for them because some people can't um, and then um, you get all that and then you get told the problem is then, then you get that misquote that comes out but that's already shared by people who share that sentiment around the around the world I don't know what's going on with the telly get shared around the world like they always say there's a good saying it's like a lie is around the world before the truth even gets its pants on and people who agree with that people who agree with that sentiment will share it will agree with it and it emboldens that view and i've already had that view for a long time me doing theater at university left that me doing like me teaching students how to do art and this you know, theatre um, and um, media studies and film studies get laughed at a lot for stuff like that and um, again, it emboldens those people without real understanding of what the arts is and what the arts does um, and that's where a lot of the contention i think comes in um, so i'm i'm championing i'm going to champion the arts as much as i possibly can um, because for some people um the arts is a release it's a life for me it was like um i'm certified dyslexic um and growing up i didn't understand a lot of things because uh dyslexia is it's a mental thing um it's the way that information goes to the brain uh the way it was described to me was like for a normal brain information goes in like parallel lines whereas dyslexia there's crisscrosses here there and everywhere so certain processes and sequences don't always match up and for me it's writing like i can't spell that well sometimes and writing an essay is harder than writing a poem because there's two different paradigms of writing and knowing that is my own that's my own experience knowing that um, the sad thing is what's really frustrating about it is um, I know that because that was me. There's other people out there exactly the same now and as a student, as a a kid, luckily my parents were really supportive and teachers were a bit more supportive and I was offered the arts and I used that to bridge the gaps of my misunderstandings. A lot of students now, because of this way that the arts is being uh, maligned and um, laughed at and whatever and seen as not as important or as a joke, we're gonna lose a generation here of students who could have done more. Yeah. And that's the sad truth, that's the problem. Because the arts offers more, it gives what we call the hidden curriculum. And you're doing a PDC now, I'm gonna, you're gonna have heard Maslow's hierarchy of needs.
0: I've literally been doing that all day
1: today. (laughs) There you go. Just write it in every essay, mate, you're gonna be all right. Maslow's hierarchy of needs and Pavlov's uh, behavioural theories. Um, So you're gonna get that a lot, and to even achieve self-actualization, you need to get everything else underneath it. Mm-hmm. But self-actualization, the arts can give you some of those things, you know, like safety and understanding and, this, and the other. It gives you the hidden curricula- hidden curriculums like social skills, empathy, um, speech, um, and confidence as well, isn't it? So confidence. So I, a lot of kids, I, I've said this a few times, and I stand by it. A lot of the time, the student in the classroom that's behaving badly and acting up, if you give them a different paradigm of learning, if you give them maybe a chance to draw what they're trying to explain or, you know, write something different, like a poem about what they're trying to explain, might not be exactly what AQA want, might not be exactly the other, but I guarantee you that child will start behaving a lot more because they have a different way of expressing themselves that isn't what is considered normal or wanted. And then you can sort of then coax them into doing the other stuff by going, oh, do you remember when you did that, right? All we need to do is change this and, and do that. And I think, again, when I said like the arts of death, mental health things, it's so important now. Mental health is a big thing. And it's always been a big thing. It's just now we're learning more about it. And that's why it seems like there's a lot more than there used to be. It's only because we're understanding things. Years ago, smoking was considered fine. It isn't now. We know this. We've learned this. It's, 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 yeah. you know, it's, it's knowledge. And I think with mental health and stuff like that, the arts give people a chance to express themselves and understand themselves. And rather than bottle it up, and become worse. They've got all this stuff. And I think when we put it down, when we understand that, when we start to understand that, and we will eventually, maybe not now, we'll then understand that the arts are completely viable. They've always have been. They always will be. But the biggest thing we need to do now as artists or whatever you want to call yourself you and the arts, creative sector. The biggest thing we have to do is not allow the government that has said these things, has taken money out of these things, has put cuts into things, we can't allow them to then allow the renaissance of the arts because there will be a, rena- a renaissance of the art. There always is when there's these problems. The arts comes back stronger and better than ever with a renaissance. We can't allow the government to use that to gain financial capital because they'll do it they'll do it, they'll go like, oh isn't it great we've brought the arts back, we've done this, we've done that and you have to then go, well you destroyed it to begin with, you can't now take the rose mm. yeah. the you know, the rose death it's funny,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, that, I think one of the funniest things I found with that, um, just going back to that poster, I think somebody recently posted on their um, Facebook, it was the, it was the picture and it was just like, so you can't even do a poster without the arts I mean, you've got hairdressers costume graphic designers like uh, typographers it's like you can't you can't be opposed about the art there's so much thing that goes into art it's not just actors or directors or painters or you've got all these graphic designers and you've got hairdressers these are all counted as art and they're all in the art industry
1: and the other thing about that picture is that picture actually is cropped from an actual other picture that had two ballerinas in it um and they cropped that picture of Fatima, it's probably not a name, um, and then they didn't credit the person who whose picture it was, so that's one thing about the arts is credit, creditation, mm-hmm. and licensing, like Creative Commons licensing, and this, that, and the other. It's also a badly made photo, it's not a photo, it's also a badly made poster, it's badly made, like the text is hard to read, it's against a bright white background, like the lighting in there is Bright, then you use a white text on that, hard to read, and then like it's it's spacing's bad, it's spacing's badly done, and I would know that because I'm a graphic designer too. I've made posters, yeah. I've made adverts for people. I knew it was just badly made. I thought it was fake when it came out. Turns out it's real. Oh, that's mental.
0: Yeah, I, I, like I said I haven't read into it, but I know. Like you said, you have. I just thought it's like this new thing that came out, but I'm just loving all the new means of it. All like. They've started incorporating Doctor Who into it now, haven't they? Because they started talking about cyber and stuff like that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um no, I think it's um it's just a strange place that we're in at the moment, unfortunately. And like I said, with everything that's going on, hopefully the re- re- the Renaissance, I can't even say it, Jesus. Renaissance. Uh, the Renaissance. Um, we'll come and like i said the art's better because like i said i'm part of a um, amateur dramatics company and we we're supposed to be doing a show before it got locked down and we we're supposed to be doing a show next year supposed to be doing two because it got pushed back but it just doesn't look like it luckily the grand theater they're, they're doing a pantomime in december have not they they decided that they're going to open it up for two weeks london palladium's reopening to do um, a pantomime as well so hopefully it's going to keep going in the right direction Hopefully, like I said, the bars and clubs, I don't know what it's like in Manchester. Now with tier three, we've been told now that obviously bars have to close unless you serve food. And obviously everything that's going on at the moment. So hopefully... it's
1: It's a weird one because like for me, a lot of the time they're saying like bars and clubs and that is where a lot of transmission of the virus is happening. Yeah. And I think... I can understand the logic behind that. I could. But the only reason they have any sort of data on that is because bars and clubs are one of the only places that you have to do track and trace. Yeah. You don't have to when you go to a supermarket. You don't have to when you go on a bus. You don't have to when you come into a shop. You don't have to when you go into a shopping centre. You don't have to when you go into like... So where's the data from that? It's only when someone goes, oh, yeah, I was there, that you'd know. But when you have to use track and trace, like with the app and this, that, and the other, that's the only places that are really having to enforce it. So, where's your data coming from? It's coming from the places you're enforcing it from. So, therefore, no wonder it seems like the biggest places because yeah. it's the only place you've got data from. So, it's a really weird one. I don't understand it. Like, I'm not going to bars and restaurants and stuff myself because I just don't, because any place, I just want to minimize the risk the best I possibly can. And I will yeah. minimize it for myself to protect others as well. I don't want it. I don't want to give it to anyone. Like, it's as yeah. simple as that. So, I'm happy to lose out on a few bits like that. To keep people safe. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, it feels like the arts and the hospitality industry are seen as easy targets, in my opinion. It's easy targets, but you don't go after, like, why is it? And I, and I agree with this. I think it's weird. Why is it I can go to work and be with people all day, even if it's socially distanced and suddenly look, be with the public and be with my workmates and whatever, but then I'm with them all day, most days, but I couldn't go for a pint with them after work. Yeah, on our own table, I think that is ridiculous. That is that is weird, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: No, it's like I said, it's all mixed messages, and it's just <laughs> they're trying to do something, but I think with them, they probably don't know what to do, so they just put this thing in place and be like, Let's hope it works, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah,
1: I think they've done too much, and I don't mean that as in too much, as in. This, I think what they've done is that they've done stuff and then they've got rid of it and then they've U-turned and then they've got rid of it and then they've U-turned. And I appreciate it because they don't seem to know what they're doing but the problem is by doing that you lose faith in you. Yeah. My, I don't have faith in the Tory government anyway. I really do like, do not like the Tories. I hate them. I always have done them. Um, so that's my political bias anyway. But yeah. when you do this, it'd be like me going to you now. I'd be going, right, Jamie, I need to see you at eight o'clock tomorrow. Bring your coat. It's going to be raining. And then few hours later, I ring you and I go, All right, Jamie, oh, it's going to have to be nine o'clock now. You won't need your coat because it's not raining at nine o'clock. Then I ring you again and I go, Actually, Jamie, it's going to have to be half past nine and it's raining again at half past nine. Bring your coat if you could, mate. Then I ring you again and I go, Actually, we're going to have to go back to eight o'clock, but apparently it's sunny now. So you won't need your coat at all. At some point, you're going to give up on me. You go, Like, you have no idea. What are you doing? And then you're just going to be like, Well, do you want me there or not? And I go, oh, Could you be there at eight o'clock? And then well, you turn up at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm with you. It's raining. None of us have got a coat on. Reason, and you're annoyed at me you now. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't know what was going and then you're like, do you know what I mean? You end up losing faith. And I think that's what's happened.
0: It's kinda of like me with my Zoom. <laughs> yeah, what's gonna happen? Is it gonna work is it gonna be now? We finally we finally got here and we finally got got to record you know, yeah. it. So <laughs> um so like I said I thank you for um your patience in that. And it's like you said, it's it's twenty twenty, isn't it? Right? It's
1: twenty twenty, nothing's <laughs> right,
0: and it's totally fine. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um So we did speak um, before, like I said, you've listened to a few of the um, other episodes you're used to. um, What happens next? I hope you've been studying already for this. It's the favourites round. I need to get some kind of jingles, (laughs) don't I? Definitely get a jingle. Please get a jingle. (laughs) It is now time for the favourites round. Insert jingle here.
1: (laughs) I'm going to pretend I heard it. That was a mint jingle. Well done, mate. (laughs) Uh, yeah. well this
0: yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's like I was um I speak to somebody and I was like I really need a jingle of some sort. I was like, I don't play instruments, I'm awful at playing instruments, uh, the only instrument I can play is a kazoo
1: do it I was the like, kazoo. do the kazoo I
0: was like, I, that's what I was, I was like should I just make one with the kazoo <laughs> it's just like definitely, oh
1: definitely
0: i might I might do that, so you know's when you listen to it, but let's let's see what happens. <laughs> But um, we're going to start with the
1: favourite movie. My favourite movie is an easy one. It's actually I got two, and they're very different. Um, is the 1922 silent horror film Nosferatu? That is my favourite film of all time because of how of a visceral impact it had on me when I was growing up. I and I saw it in IMAX. Um, growing up, I, like in year six, I remember it very, very distinctly because I, I think I won some sort of competition to take our class to the IMAX for the day. And they were doing like a history of cinema, and I was really we shouldn't have watched it. It was definitely not age H- specific. <laughs> I remember it was like violent shit. I think it's all like a bit of Halloween in it. Um, and then they were like, "Oh, this is the silent film Nosferatu," and I think they thought because it was a silent horror film, it wouldn't be that frightening. Mate, it scared the bejesus out of me. And ever since then, it still fright not frightens us, what unnerves me because it's black and white, silent, hand crank camera. And if you get a good score on it, because there's many different scores with it, I've got different versions of different scores. I even saw it live with a musical accompaniment. That was insanely good. Yeah. That film can go from just a hokey, or what's this, to basically like you sat watching the video from the ring. And it's like for about an hour. And it's just in your face. It's, it's the story of Dracula, slightly embellished, but because they couldn't get the rights for Dracula, they just yeah. called him Count Olark and just did it anyway. Yeah. Um, the main character Max Schreck who plays uh, the vampire is this tall gangly man and he just stands in a doorway but he takes the full doorway up in a part and there's a bit where you see the boat the plague boat and he takes it over and it's just implied there's like shadows everywhere, it's German expressionism so everything's a bit of a funny angle and something and the other um, very similar to the film The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari I was going to um, mention that, I was
0: like, with German expressionism and stuff, yeah, because we studied that in film. Um, it's just, like I said, it's very, if you look nowadays for people are not sure what German expressionism is, it's basically Tim Burton, but better.
1: Yeah, and dark. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what Tim Burton emulates. I'd say because yeah. I Tim Burton does have his own style, fine, but he is emulating German expressionism. Yeah. Um, and you can have like the the Golems, another one. Uh, that's a German expression, mainly all German. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that is my favourite film of all time because every time I watch it, I get a different experience of it, and that's through the soundtrack alone. It's the same film, but the film itself is creepy. There's a bit where, um, um, Carolarks put in um coffins onto the back of a horse and cart but it's early stop motion you just sort of see it okay. cranking up it's all crackly and weird and, it, and oh it's creepy uh, and the other one is scott pilgrim versus the world <laughs> so quite similar <laughs> yeah the, the exact same film um different score though um, and it's just because scott pilgrim versus the world feels like a film that was made for me mm-hmm it's exactly what i like it's video game stuff i got i remember when i went to see it i was with an ex and all the way through she was like all right i'll take you to see it and i was like get excited i was like oh this is gonna be mint it's like it's like all right it's great every sound effect from a video game every reference i kept going i know this this is legend of zelda and i was like me, i nerded out it's the first film i've ever nerded out over and every time I watch it, I just nerd out over it because I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that sound effect was in there. That's from Gallagher. And it's like stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's a film for me. Have you, and also the video game. Have you played it? Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the game?
0: I haven't played the game, no. I, I, have, I have seen the film. I'll go into it a little bit more with
1: the film. But uh, they're um, <laughs> releasing the game, play it. It's a really good beat-em-up. And it's based on the comics, uh, well, the graphic novels. And I've, got, I've read them. And the film, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the first opening bit of that film they used the graphic novel as a storyboard. So if you read the graphic novel and watch the film, you're literally looking at the storyboard. It's nearly shot for shot. Yeah. It's insane. It's so detailed and there's so much stuff in it. I love it.
0: Yeah, I think it's a phenomenal film. Um, it made my um, honourable mentions of my, um, my 2010 films. I, I absolutely love the film. I, I almost did put it in there, but I think... Some of stuff just beat it out. But I, I love Brie Larson. I think her as M.B. Adams is incredible. And the cast are like Brandon Routh and Chris Evans and Kieran Culkin, yeah. Anna Kendrick. Um, I can't remember her name now, the main girl. It's a freak, Bauer
1: name, isn't it? What, what's she called? I can't remember the name. Yeah. I just remember she was in the remake. She was in the prequel of The Thing, and that film's awful.
0: And she was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> <laughs> um... I can't remember, it, but obviously Michael Cera as well. I, I, I love it, like I said, the soundtrack's amazing. Um, it used to be my cover photo for quite a while, MV Adams. Yeah. On Facebook, the, uh, at Deem, um, what's it called? Something at Demon Clash Head. Demonhead. Yeah, they used to like her singing on the stage because it's actually her singing as well. Like,
1: I think mm, she's, I remember, like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's she's thing. Clash of Demon Demonhead's an old NES game as well.
0: Yeah. But no, like, I absolutely love that film. I, I keep trying to get Mercedes to watch it all the time because he's had that urge just to watch it and she's like, no, she didn't enjoy it. So I'm like, fuck's sake. <laughs> I just watch it by myself. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's such a great film. I think it's one of those as well because it's so nerdy or video game. It doesn't get the appreciation of what it should do in a wider audience, maybe.
1: But yeah, I think... Yeah. Um, do you ever listen to... Um, Mark Mode? Um, I don't listen
0: to him. I've watched some of his TV shows, and uh, I studied. I did quite a bit of him whilst doing my film as well, because he enjoys a film that I absolutely adore as well, which is How the Duck. So he's a massive advocate for How the Duck. So <laughs> uh,
1: never watched it. I know about it. But I've never watched it. I wouldn't watch it. Um, he, he he talked about uh, Scott Pilgrim. And he said it was a shame because it flopped. when it came out and he said like it's a really good film it's just a shame it didn't catch on but it should do because it's like very good and that's the way i would talk about it whenever i tell people like i'm not sure about it i'm like no honestly mate you like we have all these comic booky films and stuff now, and, and I, I, we had this discussion before we even came on that I really don't like the MCU films. Yeah. I think, in my opinion, it's the death of cinema. Um, that's right, <laughs> yeah, I am Scorsese. I agreed with him. I agreed yeah. with him, and everyone got really angry at him, and I was like, no, nah, Scorsese's got a point. He's got some point, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was just like, you want a comic book film, a proper one, you want something to feel like a comic book, you want something to feel like a video game, you want to be nerdy, that's your film. Yeah, that's your film because it, it, it has you nerdy know, stuff has a KO screen in it when he hits people and this that and the other it has people yeah. jumping around and hitting people and doing silly things it's exactly what a comic book film should be uh, but then we watch the same film over and over again just with different actors and yeah. we call that comic booky. and it's not it's just the same film
0: yeah except like they, they're not comic book I think they take their source material from a comic book but it's not made to look like a comic book. It's made to look like a Hollywood action blockbuster movie, isn't it? Whereas,
1: yeah. I know it's but completely then, different. But then yeah. it, 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 it capitalises on it. It's so weird. It, yeah. it uses the comic books and then capitalises the comic books, and then afterwards it's like, oh, well, you'll like all this nerdy shit. You're like, mm, not really. It's, yeah. all it's all the same film.
0: But I'm saying, if Scott Pilgrim got made now, would you think it would be bigger than what it was in 2010 when it came out? Because if you think, like, and, it's, it's, it's quite similar, but Betty Player One, like, that did really, really well. And it's a really good film as well, but...
1: I think if it got made now, Edgar like, uh, Wright wouldn't be allowed to make it.
0: You think he wouldn't?
1: No. no. I don't. I think, I think it'd be considered too uh, quirky now. I think it'd be an yeah. indie film.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just I think, crazy.
1: Yeah, he wasn't allowed to make, was it Ant-Man? I think, he, I think they had a falling out because he was going to make Ant-Man originally. Yeah. Cool. He didn't like it. He didn't they had created differences. And I think he would have made it a bit too quirky for them. And they were like, no, it needs to match the S to the MCU and this and the other. Because whenever they take risks, it's not a risk. It's a colour palette change. And That's Magnum all that up it brings. Taiki Waititi. Taiki Watiti, I like Taiki Waititi. I like and his up,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, but it's on my list to watch. Uh, but I like his other films. Hope for the World of People. What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, and this like, and the other. I do love his films. I love his humour and this like, and the other. I didn't think it fit when I watched a bit. Of, I I didn't enjoy Ragnarok. I turned it off. But then again, I, I turned most of them off because I found them the same. But the only thing I could tell you that was different about Ragnarok to anything else was the colour palette. That was it. It was just brighter. And I edited it a bit quicker. That was it. And I was like, all right. And everyone's like, oh, it's so different. It's so different. I was like, no, nah, it's still the exact same film. It's just brighter. I'm like that's it.
0: Yeah, and I know, like I said, um, we might as well go on to it. Like we said before, and it's just rehashes of it's the same old story all the time. And Marvel and Disney basically rule the world now. Uh, like I said, one film at the top fifty of all time or franchise or Disney. So <laughs> yeah,
1: it's like I said. So again, what I said before, and I'm I'm happy to go on. I'm happy to go on like the record and say it's like when you get that. Um, long thing it's like for the next 10 years here's our planned films i find that depressing i don't think that's good i think that's yeah. terrible because one for example one for example get rid of any surprise yeah. two you get, that's all you're gonna get that's it and because it's such a massive franchise that's all that's gonna dominate the cinema so it makes me not want to really go like i'm i'm probably a bit I'm probably being a bit hipster. I'm probably being a bit pretentious, but I do like independent cinemas because they show things I want to see. Like here in Manchester before, it managed to get into the view or anything like that. The only place to see The Lighthouse, which is my film of the year, just next to Parasite, um, I had to go see them. I got to see The Lighthouse, but I had to go to an independent cinema to see it. But I didn't mind because when I go to an independent cinema to see a film, I'll go to watch a film. Yeah. It sounds really silly. And I know the people in there are what what are there for specifically that film too. It's, it comes yeah. off to a social thing. It's more of a, I want to go watch a film. And I want to sit down, really enjoy a film, pay attention. When I'm in yeah. a cinema like The View and stuff like that, I can't really pay that much attention because there's just so many people and this, that, and the other. I'm sort of like, mm-hmm. I saw Parasite in The View, which was weird though, because that was a weird one where loads of people were there. But they were pretty good with watching it. But my often, often my experience yeah. of watching a film is, my experience isn't very good when I go to like a view in this, because it's just a load of people like dicking around. And I'm sort of like, I just want to, it's watch not the, the
0: cine-litter audience that you would expect to go to, say, like Parasite or AM or like an individual. Yeah, and that's judgmental
1: on it. my part. And that's me exactly playing into the whole thing. I, I, I try and rail against at the start, but. That's my decision to watch a film sometimes. So a lot of the time when I go see a film, I'll go to a place where I know I can sit and watch it. That's my thing. I want to go there. And I will pay the premium because you do pay a lot more to go. Well, not a lot more, but you do pay more to go to like an independent than you do anywhere else. But again, I want to see that film. The View ain't going to show me a documentary from Kenya about things that I want to know about, you know what I mean yeah. it ain't going to do that, so I have to go somewhere that will, that I want to watch, and at least then when I know I'm in there, other people watching it are there exactly for the reason I am which I find quite yeah. nice
0: Yeah, it's like a small little community of all the people that actually have the same interests as yourself and it's it's the um, place of where you go see it as well it's the atmosphere, it's like um, we spoke briefly about Nosferatu on our 1959 and Below podcast uh, for Greatest Movies Ever because one of my friends got went to go see an in independent cinema as well. I was like, could you imagine going to see that film in like a Gothic castle in like Transylvania? Yeah, I'd that, to love that, that. That would be probably like, the most outrageous, obscene thing to like go watch, um, which just makes me want to go to Transylvania and watch it in a Gothic castle when I've never seen it, but you know. <laughs> um, But that's what I mean. It's the experience of going out with these typical cinema f- films. You can just go into a cinema and just watch it. You're not getting the experience of, say, going out and watching a film in like the Regent Cinema in Blackpool or anything like that. Yeah, um, you're not getting that ambiance, shall we say, and that creates to the film as well, I guess. But I, I say that I'm an Odeon Limitless member, so I go to the Odeon all the time. So,
1: yeah, again, again there's literally nothing wrong with that. It's just, yeah. and I do go to the Odeon, I do go to The View, obviously not now, but I will do to watch yeah. the films. Like, the last time I went to the Odeon, that wasn't Parasite, I went to see Godzilla King of the Monsters because I do like stuff like that too. Yeah, um, but again, like, I went. I had to go to the cinema. I went to what's called Home. I went there to watch um, Lighthouse because it was the only place that was showing it at the time before it came to the view. And it's like, that's fine with me. And again, it plays into the pretentiousness because I don't like the MCU and all that sort of stuff. But again, I do watch blockbusters and this, that and the other. It's just, I yes. don't think today's ones are that great.
0: No, it's... Um... They don't make films like they used to. As I said, the good thing about doing a podcast is I'm watching some of the older films that they used to make. And it's just crazy to think how cinema has changed over this time, especially as a media or film student, you can actually dissect and you can see where Mm. the changes have happened and where it's gone and, yeah, I'm not going into confident comf- like film and media terms and stuff. Yeah. Yeah,
1: if I could recommend a film that I've recently just watched that I really enjoyed, yeah. it's um, it's on Amazon Prime at the moment. It might be on Netflix, I'm not sure. But the Personal History of David Copperfield. That was by Armando Ionici. did The Death of Stalin yeah. in, in the Loop. He also did uh, Thick of It, which I love. The Thick of It, I think it's so funny. Um, but The Personal History of David Copperfield is. If I tell you it's like, obviously, a retelling of the Charles Dickens book of David Copperfield, you might be a bit like, not interested, honestly, watch it. It's really funny, and it's really imaginative, and it's really, like, the the transitions between scenes are great. Like, one minute, it feels like you're on a stage sometimes, like, the the backdrop falls, and it's a new scene, just walk into it. It's stuff like that, it's incredibly good. I I would 100% recommend that film, if you can watch it at the moment.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna to go soon to, to Watch it. Dev Patel, isn't it? Like,
1: so yeah, he's brilliant in it. He's probably the, he's probably the best thing in it.
0: Yeah, but as I said he started to um, do a little bit. I mean, back from his days of Skins, <laughs> to going out and doing Lion, and now at uh, these type of movies. I think he was in the newsroom as well back in the day. But um, yeah, it's just um, yeah, that was on my list to watch. So I know we do need to watch it at some point. Is I think it's only on Amazon at the moment, but um. Do you have any favourite artists? Like, singer, band? Like, who
1: would you say? Yeah, I, um, yeah. If I go from my, my, my favourite bands are Elbow. Um, I think Elbow, is they're amazing. It's just poetry to music for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, of see, a lot of people see it as, like, dull, mawkish pub poetry, sad, morose, this, that, and other, <laughs> but I find a lot of beauty in it. I really do, and it's got me through a lot of hard times listening to Elbow. I relate to a lot of what he's singing about, and it feels very homely and warm to me. Um, yeah. he sings about love and this that and the other in a way that normally when I hear it I'm a bit like ugh a bit cynical, but when I hear him sing when I hear Guy Garvey and the band play about singing it and this that and the other, it feels so visceral and real and it maps how I felt when I've been in love and this that and the other and I think I think for me that's amazing. Then I like the flaming lips. I love how different and weird they can be and I love again. They have this weird optimism, apart from the album *The Terror*, which is not optimistic whatsoever. Um, but like they have this weird optimism about life and stuff like that. And um, so I love them. Um, who else? Public service broadcasting. I think they're fantastic. They take often old news clips. Or for example, my favourite album theirs is *The Race for Space* where they take um, recordings from like NASA from the space race and there's certainly a little bit of music to it. I've got the vinyl over there, that's brilliant. Um, you want to go back to my sort of emo-y days. Um, I've been really listening to a lot of Enter Shikari again. Uh, I really like Enter Shikari, especially now they've got a bit older. Like originally when they first did stuff, it was very, you could just call it emo-y and stuff like that, but it's actually got a lot of meaning behind it nowadays to do a lot of political stuff, which I agree with. Um, they're fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think is there anything else that I've been listening to recently that I really like I'd go with them at the moment as what I'm really into at the moment who I really like listening to I think, I think they're fantastic
0: uh, correct me if I'm wrong here um, Elbow 1D
1: uh, one Day Like This.
0: One Day Like This, yeah. As uh, so well, I was just making sure in my head that was the one that came to my head. I'll absolutely love that song.
1: They even say, yeah, yeah, they even say they have to play it every time they do live gigs because they knew that was their bread and butter because it's where <laughs> they got famous. Yeah. And, um, I feel like Everybody knows that
0: song. If you don't know it's Elbow. everybody knows that song.
1: Yeah, and they did it at the Olympic ceremony opening, didn't they, in 2012? Um, And I think it is a great song and I've promised myself, and this is going to backfire me badly, the day all this ends, when we can go back to normal, I am going to make something with that song and put it out live or put it somewhere. I might cover it. I might do something with it because it's a song that means a lot to me. And I think it'd be an expression of how I feel and yeah. and the Sanyola because i am going I d I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with it anyway, that's my plan. And I've been working on it for a while, so I'll say might do some animation with it or something, I'm not sure, but we'll we'll see.
0: Yeah, I can say I'll see you on Facebook, like I said, you always put your drawings on there and your animations and stuff, don't you? So I always see that kind of thing on there. It's like I said just keeping busy and doing all of that as well. And like I said, then they're just funny as well, like it's just something to brighten up your day as well. You just eat some of it and it's just um it's just great
1: um that's the yeah. point really. yeah. a lot of it i'm um, a lot of it i make i don't often share the work that i get paid for sometimes i do sometimes it's within the contract that like i don't it's just for the company it's just for the client but like it doesn't stop me making things just because i like to make things like yeah. a lot of the time i learn a new animation technique and i go well how am i going to make something with that so i'll make it i'll make an experiment and put it on and i'll try to make it fun and interesting and nice because some because a lot of my animations you know is quite Bright, quite round and soft, and this and the other. And it's just because I think, wouldn't it be nice if you're just scrolling through? Because they call this thing now doom scrolling where we're just constantly looking for bad news. And so I go, every now you watch The Social just, dilemma by any chance? I haven't seen it, no. <laughs> uh, I don't want to see it. Because a lot of people are like, oh, did you know they do it? And I was like, yeah, you say yeah. that, but you watched it on Netflix where they've got all your payment. You watched it on your phone as well. And I'm like, you just, you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, you also shared it on Facebook. So yeah. Um, I was like, the, everyone knows it. We, there's someone who knows everything about everyone anyway. Like, it's too late now. Um and that person who knows everything about everyone must be the most depressed person ever because everyone's boring. Um, but, like, like oh, ordered three packets of Maltesers the other day, keep your eye on him. Like, you know, know what I mean? Like, um, but, yeah, I always like the idea of when we're doing that, there's suddenly something interesting, something bright, something colourful, something different, just is just there. And then people can look at it and go, Oh, that was a nice. Again, it was what I was saying before. They got even if it's ten seconds long. whatever, they got that was a nice ten seconds, yeah. and that break, that little break, that little moment in time can mean the world to someone, and it means a lot to me anyway because I made it, I put it out there. But that could mean something to someone. Do not ever have to tell me? But it might do something, and I I like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I said it. I think it's very important for artists as well to. Um, I said this to you is the feedback like sometimes when you said that i like the poems that you do and everything that you put out there and you're like well i've listened to yours it, it just means a lot to obviously show that connectedness and appreciation for each other because that's what we need in this time as well um like i said so like i said i appreciate 100%. You coming on
1: doing it well, thank so, you yeah. so much i, I appreciate yeah. you having me here like um I, I remember sending you this message the other day um one of the biggest things you can do for an artist, a creative, or anyone who creates anything, is if you like something of theirs, tell them. Yeah. Even if it's only briefly, tell them. You have no idea how much that means to them. Like To me, when I saw that clip that, um, of uh, Matt Davenport talking about me at uh, 30 yeah. Blancs. I could, I dined off that for like a week. Like, I couldn't believe it. Someone liked what I did and wanted to push me further and put me into something. And you yeah. were saying that you enjoyed it. And the very fact that you said that you've enjoyed it, the very fact that someone else said that they enjoyed it, that one brief moment in time kept me going. It yeah. keeps me going. And it's even when someone just goes, when I come off stage, someone goes, I like that. Or even if you just go, I like that, that's it. Yeah. That. Means everything. Like, that makes yeah. everything that we do feel worth it, and that is the best thing you can do for anyone. And I think again, it's those small acts of kindness that have the biggest impact.
0: Mm-hmm. and like I said as soon, as soon as you said it, and I was going through it all, I was like, I'm gonna clip that and send it to you even before I even aired it. And it was like literally, it was just like because I know how much it means. Like I said, to have that responsive, mm-hmm. positive response back, and like I said, I knew you'd enjoy it, and like I said yeah that's just what i send to you really so oh, <laughs> I said, it's, no, just, it's just no, nice okay. hearing those nice words isn't it so you know it's yeah, it's giving it. somebody that positive feeling
1: mm-hmm. i appreciate yeah. and I appreciate you having me on like it, it's so nice that someone wants to talk to me about what i do and is interested in what i think and wants to put that out there like again yeah. it means the world to me
0: yeah and um i know i've said this um to you as well like when I originally had the idea to do this I had a small shortlist in my head of the people that I wanted to do and I've seen the stuff that you do, and I was like you were on that shortlist because I think I mean again I didn't know most of the stuff that you went through with all art and everything in the background I knew that you did theatre because obviously, like I said we did Becca's opera mm-hmm. and stuff and like I said it was just all of a sudden you're doing like the poetry not poetry but you're doing all of that a lot and it was just nice to find out how you got there and your method of writing and basically how you got into it and it's just like i said it's artist supporting artists and i'm not calling myself an artist now but you know
1: <laughs> um, you, but, should. 100% yeah. you should 100 percent. you should an artist supporting uh, artist is that's the way yeah. we get by artist yeah. supporting artists is the best thing ever because if you say for example if i need someone who can maybe produce a podcast for me i'd come to you because i know you and knowing yeah. that i know what you can do if i give work your way you you've given me this so i'll give you something and it's like paying it forward yeah. and that's a great thing to do because what we'll do is that when an artist gives an artist another opportunity it's less cynical than someone trying to get you to do a job for exposure yeah do you know what I mean like when an artist helps an artist they're both benefiting when it's someone giving you exposure there's only one person really benefiting from it
0: no yeah exactly and yes I think that's just one thing that's missing from the world is that need to help each other everybody just wants something for themselves for financial gain i don't care if i don't make a single penny out of what i do i enjoy doing it i enjoy speaking to people because that's who i am as a person and i enjoy speaking to these people and learning about them it's like again we've known each other for what going on nearly 20 years Easy. Doesn't mean Easy. I know I doesn't know mean I know everything about your personal life when you were telling me before about everything that happened before you moved to Manchester, I knew nothing about that. So it's nice to actually have this connection and speak and I think this is the main reason I wanted to do this, to actually hmm. speak to people about their lives really. So even if we ramble on twenty minutes or half an hour or even two hours about COVID nineteen. <laughs> it's just having that yeah, yeah. communication yeah, it's, especially. It's a
1: it's a beautiful yeah. thing because everyone's life, everyone has a life and everyone has an experience that you don't know about. And it's exactly what we were both saying before is like these acts of kindness and this, that's the others, because the way I always think about it is if I accidentally stub my toe, for example, yeah. that's a weird thing to say, but if I accidentally stub my toe and that really hurts, right? And that can like really, really annoy me for like 10 minutes. Someone else could have done that today as well. And that pain that I felt, they're feeling. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, do you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. It's like it's crazy when you think other people's lives are just as important as your life. Yeah. You think everything that happens to you and everything that happens in your day is it's specific to you, but someone else is having a day that's just as specific to them. It's yeah. crazy. And like people have so much going on. Like some people are so talented and you don't know anything about them. Do you know what I mean? I, this is why I want to help and this is why I want to keep doing what I do because I've had a few people say, that they felt a bit more inspired to do something because they see how much that I put out all the time. And it's not always the good stuff. Sometimes I just put If I fail, sometimes still talk about it, because this did not work and this is the other. But some people go, oh, I feel a bit more comfortable doing what I want to do. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know you did that. And they don't have to share it publicly, but they feel a bit more empowered to do it. And I think, again, it's a life that you don't always know about. And I think by doing what you're doing, for example, by giving people an opportunity like you have today for me to talk about what I do and stuff, you've enriched it's going to sound really brown nosy but it shouldn't be you you're enriching my life by giving me a platform yeah do you know what I mean? and by doing so that's i think that's a nice thing it's a, it's a thing that we we should all do to everyone else just having a chat really
0: yeah i mean i think it's especially what's needed at this moment in time with lockdowns and social distances it's we're, we live in obviously this Facebook generation where everything's just over a message or on Facebook or likes and comments and everything this is what we miss just a typical conversation can you remember the last time you've spoken to somebody for an hour to two hours like whether that be on the phone or face to face or via zoom and this is kind of what my basis of conversations with is about it's just me having and speaking to people and yeah and I absolutely love it. Like I said, I just love learning about people and all different stuff. Like again, I'm definitely gonna watch Nosferatu and put it on my twenty four hour marathon list, so You have to give me nice. a review. Yeah, I will do. I mean probably not on the day, because <laughs> I could have been that yeah, but um but yeah. I, but think... I
1: swear to God, if you just put wank, I'm gonna come after you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Um uh, but I'm doing nine PM Thursday till Friday, nine PM next week, so I'll let you know probably my in it? morning when I'm alive. Well, that's what I mean. I, I, that's what I debated, but then I'm like, will to get taken down because of copyright because it's going to have the film
1: in the background. It'll have the sounds and stuff. I don't know. If it's a live stream, maybe not. If it's archived, maybe.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. So I debated all different ways to do it, whether I just like live tweet, blog it, or whether I just have a camera there for the 24 hours and then upload it after with yeah. my thoughts in between or in between each film and just go, yeah, it's great. I'm still alive. Well,
1: you could do a snapshot yeah, of today. yeah,
0: you could do a snapshot of yeah. day. That'd be quite good. Yeah, so I'm still debating. Except again, I've never done it before. This, um, this is what i was saying. Um, because I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, and I'm in uni Monday, Friday, and I work Saturday, Sunday. I've got. I'm not in uni next Friday because progression day, which is always great. So it's like I've got I'm free on Friday. What am I gonna do? Let's watch 24 hours of films. <laughs> With Halloween coming up, why not? Let's just watch twenty four hours of horror films and then. That's yeah, my I'm day taking. Hall-
1: I've got Halloween day off because I'm just watching films all
0: day. Yeah, and it's the dream. As I said, especially as a film student, you just sometimes just take for granted of watching film or or mm-hmm. TV. You just sit there and just be like, yeah, it's okay. But I'm looking forward to it. Whether I survive the whole twenty four hours, I don't know. Hopefully, I will. Because nine until nine p.m. is a bit strange but i have to do it because my working hours i'll finish work at 8 p.m and then get ready for nine and then, yeah yeah and then i need to sleep for them ready for work saturday morning so um but we will go back to our questions for a tv show you have already said it's going to be young ones and bottom
1: yeah young ones and bottom are my two favorite comedies of all time uh rick Mail's my hero 100 he's always been my hero and um we you share
0: with I- Taryn, as well, like, I don't yeah, know.
1: yeah, I know I know Taryn loves it as well, um and like for me, the thing about it is Rick Mail said there's a quote that's attributed to him, I'm not sure if he said I believe he said it, um but I can't be one hundred percent sure, but he said, um I may be gloriously stupid, but if um but if that helps people forget the misery and mundaneness of normal life, then I'm happy, and that's exactly how I'd like to live that and I hope everything I've said in this podcast at least at least proves that to a degree where I like trying to make people laugh I like trying to make people and so and other, if I have to play the fool to do it, I'll do it just because A, I quite like doing that anyway and B, yeah. it helps people forget what's going on and like I said, I want to try and that's why I've not done much poetry in that about Covid or jokes about Covid and this that so other because I want people to slightly forget about it and if I have to be the fall guy for you to forget about it to do daft stuff then I'll I'll take that role, because I'm happy. It makes me happy making other people happy and making people laugh, because I know the power of laughter, because for me, I I need it every day. I need to laugh, and laughter's just so important that um, I want to give that to other people, and Rick Mail did that for me, and I never met him. Do you know what I mean? I never met him once, but he's my hero, because he's made me laugh and still continues to make me laugh, even after his death. And that proves to me that if I can do anywhere close to what he can do, it does make a difference. Um, yeah. yeah, those those are my two favourite comedies of all time. And I mainly watch comedies. I don't watch much telly, if I'm honest. I normally I watch a lot on YouTube or I read. And I just find... The problem with telly is it's not bad, really. It's that I just never have time to keep up with it. So, like, I don't really do Netflix series or anything like that because... I end up getting to a point where I just end up being so busy, I just forget about it, and then it becomes like a big deal going back to it, so I just sort of go, well, what's the point? Yeah.
0: I I still, it's the only problem with... Um, I don't know if it's the same for yourself as well, as a um, medium film shooting, because I did it at A-level as well, and then I did my degree in script writing, so it's analysing films. So... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it's just basically... I what wo- I can't watch trailers anymore, because... I watch trailers and I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen at every point of the film. And it's just like, you find it hard work watching a TV show or a film because it's just like, I know this is going to happen. They should have done this or why didn't that happen or they should have done this a little
1: bit now. (laughs) I can 100% give you an example that happened last night. So last night my housemate was like, should we watch a film? I was like, yeah, go on then, we'll watch a film. Can we watch a horror? It's, It's coming up to Halloween. He was like, yeah, I've got a film you'll like. It's terrible, but you'll like it. It's so like, what is it? And we watched the, the Descent.
0: This was on my mini shortlist for the 24-hour film, because I've right. never seen it.
1: Yeah. Right. It's about girls it gets... that
0: get lost in a hole or something.
1: Yeah, so... Basically, it... yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like an innuendo, but it, it's <laughs> yeah. basically that. Um, so it gets written about about being quite good. Like, it, got, mm-hmm. it gets, good. It gets yeah. talked as being quite a good horror and this, that, and the other. I thought it was awful, personally. <laughs> Um, like entertaining but awful and yeah. afterwards my housemate was like saying um, what is it you didn't like because at the end I was like that was absolutely terrible and he was like what is yeah. it you didn't like and I tried explaining it to him and I was like the way it was the way it was shot was annoying I was like I got it and it was edited badly and you were editing in these bits that was trying to tell me visually what's going to happen later but it, when it does happen that bit at the start wasn't even needed it just seemed a bit pretentious, it was just trying to, I was like, that's just trying to make me scared of that, but it wasn't done well enough and the camera angle was bad. And in the end I was bored into tears by just <laughs> dissecting <laughs> this film wide right in front of him, which to yeah. me is an interesting conversation. And I was like, oh, and yeah. this and I was like the sound here was really bad. And I was like, it just didn't do this and didn't do that. And I was like, I kind of wish in a weird way that I didn't know any of this stuff. Because yeah. I could have just enjoyed it.
0: You can't just just turn it off, that's the only problem nowadays, you can't just turn off and just watch a a crap film for, (laughs) I say crap film I'm talking about like your your typical Hollywood blockbusters, like if you went to go see Transformers for example most people enjoy it, you know, what's not to enjoy it's robots going crazy and explosions at Michael Bay so you know, why not? But then for for someone like myself I go on and I'm just like Yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's it's one of those things it's just like when you know the formula of something and you can see that formula being stuck to so well, mm-hmm. you end up getting bored because again you can just you can just guess. Mm. Oh, I reckon that's about it. Oh, that, yeah, it happened exactly when I thought it would because that's yeah. just the way it is, and it's a shame because then again when it comes to like when I said before like when it comes to like the MCU stuff and that. When it came to when they were like, oh, it's so different. I was like, well, actually, it's just a palette swap. Because if you actually put it against these films and go through this diagram, I was like, you could, I could easily prove to you that it's the exact same film. Mm. But again, that's just because I'm really hyper aware of it. Yeah, and I wish I wasn't, because then I probably could really just enjoy it and stop being pretentious in a way. But like, yeah. but then again, I, the, and again, when it comes to me trying to show people films again, what I think is amazing to someone might be quite weird and different. Like, I absolutely love, for example, like, um grab it here. Like, I, I get, like, special editions when I really like Same. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, M. Okay. The film M. That's a great film. It's a really dark, um It's another it's dark
0: expressionism type film, isn't
1: it? I sort think it's like of, late 20s or 30s. It's about, is it? Yeah, it's about a child killer. It's Fritz Lang. Of course, yeah. I think, is this Like, Metropolis. Yeah. And, like, films like that, and I'm like, oh, you should watch this, because this, this, and this, and this, and this happens, and all this other things. And, like, I'm trying to think of other films. I've got a, a bit like that. Like, um, Cabinet Doctor Caligari, Invades into the Body Snatchers, the 1978 version. Let the right one in. Um, that was another one that was kind
0: of on my list. Let the right one in. Let me in. That's yeah, really yeah. good. That let that's, me into the US remake, which apparently is supposed to be good as well, but obviously not as
1: good as the original, but... And I'm really into um, I'm really into animation because obviously I make it, and like you've got films that people haven't don't that people have spoke about, but it's not often. Well, like I don't know if you've ever seen *Song of the Sea*. No, no I've never
0: watched. Um, I know it's not, but I know I've never watched any. Um, what's the word now? I'm gonna. We've talked about them so much recently. What's it called? Studio Ghibli. There you go. I've never watched, I know that's I know that's not Ghibli, but I
1: have never watched any Ghibli films. Ghibli, yes, Ghibli's like best things ever. Yeah, Ghibli Ghibli is good. Ghibli is anime for people who don't want to admit they like anime. Um I got like a massive
0: Dragon Ball Z fan, but that's the
1: only one I want. Me too. I'm gonna to get the four star Dragon Ball as a tattoo. What do you mean this right here? Nice <laughs> <laughs> i get you it, would require me going up there. I've got every Dragon Ball in a box, like in I, a, the I really box. want it. In the
0: crystal ball, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've, this is a fantastic film as well, Mary and Max. Yeah. Ugly film, ugly, but it's stop motion. That's fantastic. There's so much, like, again, with animation, for example, like, I know it's going to make me sound like a nerd. I am a nerd, that's fine. But, like, there's so many stories that are in there, like, animation is just beautiful storytelling because you can get away with things. And, like, art style is important to me. I love art styles and this, that, and the other. And, like, A Cat in Paris, that's a good film. Ernest and Celestine, which is um, a French-Israeli uh, animation about a bear and a mouse, and that, that looks like watercolour. And then they tried doing something like that with uh, Loving Vincent. Have you seen Loving Vincent? The one where every no. frame's an yeah. oil painting. I, I've seen
0: it when well, I used to work at HMV, but I've never watched it. I've seen, like, obviously the style of it.
1: Yeah. The problem with Loving Vincent, though, is it does take you a while to recli- um, acclim- the ties to it, because yeah. it is a weird animation style. There's like just so many different things that you could just... The Red Turtle, that's a Studio Ghibli film. That's really good. If you like Wally, where you don't have to... There's not any um, dialogue for ages. Because I think the first part of wally is better than the second half. The Red Turtle, watch that. That's mainly silent. And that's an animation. That's beautiful. That tells you a story yeah. just visually. Yeah. And I think, you know, stuff like that, which is just amazing. And then this is what I do when I try and tell people about it, because it just seems so distant and different. It's not always you yeah. need to get them on board, do you know what I mean? No, as
0: I said, my my specialty is horror and stuff, so I say this now, I haven't watched some of the most horror films ever made, but, you know, I, I'm massive in slasher films, so when I talk about slasher films, it's, it's basically the same, but you can't really, you get too passionate about it, and it just, like I said, it, it puts you distant into it so but if you're trying to say, oh, this is a really good film you should watch, and just like, no, I'm okay, thanks. It's like, no, yeah. you need to watch this film. Yeah. <laughs> Like, again like one of my top films from last year was Ready or Not I thought that was one of the most incredible horror films in recent years if you've ever seen it like seen it and Smart uh, it's just so good but like nobody will see it <laughs> I mean but it was very, very 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 good and the director of that are now going on to do Scream 5 so I can't fucking wait because so, like, Scream's one of my favourite films of all time and um, do you have a? Uh, you said before your favorite poet. Your favorite poem is "Sold Out." You'd yes. That's that, that, that the one that you've written. Do you have a favorite poet? Do You say the the Baron would probably your favorite poet, or do you have a favorite?
1: John like, Cooper Clark is my favorite poet. John Cooper Clark. John Cooper. Doctor John Cooper Clark is my favorite poem poet of all time. He just yeah. he's just brilliant. He's just so funny, so wry, so dry. Um... And his poems are just incredible. Just every single one of them. Uh, yeah. Evidently, Chicken Town's my favourite one. Uh, I Want to Be Yours, which was uh, this also done by um, the Arctic Monkeys. So the song I Want to Be Yours is his poem they just made to music. But with we'll a little bit in the middle. But I Want to Be Yours is fantastic. Um, so people
0: who don't like poetry, Arctic Monkeys use poetry in there. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Songs are just poems to music. Yes. Yeah. So That's so it is.
0: Yeah, like I said, it's just finding the way, like you said, poems and music, and that's kind of what you're doing now. You're doing it in a different style to comedy, and you're using your theatre background to put on a show. You'd say, yeah. like I said, you're putting your your um, gestures in there and you're animating it, and I think that's what good performers should do, like I said, rather than just stand there over a piece of paper or, like I said, just stand there, you, you're putting on this show and you're performing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well there's nothing wrong with reading it if that's how you feel comfortable. It's just not the way I feel comfortable doing Yeah. Things.
0: No, yeah, definitely. But um yeah, so so you said what's your favourite poem? That I've done, yeah. No, of all time, like poem, like you've read this and it was just like oh, I wish my I wrote it. All time. God, God, <laughs> yeah. God. It was like I wish God. I wrote this or um,
1: possibly it would be a um, John Cooper Clarke one. It would be possibly. Yeah. Um, there's three of them Evidently Chicken Town, Beasley Street, and Twat. And tw- uh, <laughs> twat, yeah, it's really good. Okay. Those are my three favourite that he did because those were the ones that I heard that made me realise I could do it. Yeah. And those, so they mean a lot to me. There's other poems that I heard when I was growing up and this and the other that do mean a bit to me, but like in terms of now, those are ones those three were the ones that stuck with me to the point where I was like, I reckon I could do this. Poetry's actually a bit different to what I thought it was, and I reckon I can do this and that's where I'm at now. Thanks to those poems and thanks to him, that's why I do what I do. In yeah. terms of poetry anyway.
0: That's perfect. I-, I wanna thank you for like I said coming on and joining us here. It's one of those things you could probably talk for hours about films. It's uh, oh, probably going to be another podcast at, at some other point of just talking films rather than poetry and COVID. Um, but it, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to um, thank you, Fag like said, for finally messaging me when, I, when we were ready to do this and bearing with me during work schedules and oh, <laughs> Zoom problems. And like I said, I think you are incredible. And I said, uh, you're amazing. And I've watched some of the, um, the stuff that you've put on and um, you did a recent one like with instagram like
1: you said with the blue collar pub what's it called oh blue Blue theater yeah blue they, they want to yeah. talk to me about i did dash i did um, that birthday week and they asked me to do a show um and obviously we couldn't do it live so originally i was meant to do it in march but, but the week we were meant to do it was lockdown yeah and they had never met me before and <laughs> i wasn't able to make the rehearsal so they had no idea what i was gonna do and I was like, yeah. I have, like, a show ready, so whenever I can perform it, I'll perform it fully. Um, so then I was, they, were, they messaged me a few weeks back and were like, could you film it? Like, it doesn't matter how much or how little, could you film a show? Or, like, whatever you were going to do. Um, even if it was just a piece, and I was like, well, actually, it doesn't work if it's just a piece. It needs to be, like, a, a set. Um, but I didn't have enough time, so I had to stay up late a few nights and just film it like within three days and then edit it together as quick as I could. And I was like, I need jokes in it, but they don't work because a lot of my jokes work with the audience. Like that first joke, The, the, um, the Hand of Hope, it works because there's an audience there. It doesn't work. I did do it in the show, but I had to figure out how to make it funnier, so that's why there's music there and it cuts when the, when the thing comes in because that's meant to be the joke then, like a, like you see in a trailer and stuff, the other how do I make it funny? So I thought, in the first uh, minute and four seconds, I'll be sick into my hands.
0: I'd say you just oh, go go to the toilet, but I'll be all right. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, I I said I love everything because again, for me as well, like you said, with uh, with the Baron, this is you're my first probably poet that I've seen to do this kind of thing as well, and I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, when I saw it at Dirty Blance, I absolutely loved it, and I would happily sing your praises and. Like I said, recommend anybody who wants to have a laugh to go and watch and when Dirty Blondes does reopen, it's small and shouty stuff. I'll recommend, again, Thank I'm you. quite close to Matt, and like I said, you'll be the first person if he ever asks who it would be. So
1: I'd be more than, I'd be more than yeah. happy to go back. I, I just hope I could give them a show worthy of it, really, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no. um, but yeah, I wanted to thank you. Do you want to tell everybody where they can follow you on Instagram, or do you even have Twitter and Facebook? <laughs>
1: so yeah, um, so in a weird way, I don't. I'm not that great at being professional, uh, so <laughs> um, on Instagram it's um, at all lowercase ab freelance artist, and that's on Instagram. I put a lot of stuff up there. On Twitter it's um, at and in capitals abf. Relance Artist. So it's ABF Relance Artist. So it's basically the same thing, yeah. but like ABF is... Um, it, is uh, it might be ABFA. Have a look. You'll f- It's my face. You'll see that. Um, <laughs> and on Facebook, I'm just Anthony Briscoe, and I'm quite happy for people to uh, follow me as just me, to be honest, uh, because I- I've said this a few times. I know professionally I should have a page, I should have a poetry page, and that have this, like, the other book, I am me. Yeah, I'm still a person. Like, There's a lot of things now where artists, can you like the art if you like the person? And I'm like, well, I just make it all me then. So if you don't like me, you might not like my art. And you know what I mean? If not, you might like my art, and then find me boring or something. That's okay, because I'm me. I'm an artist. I'm a person. So I'm all right with that. If I just keep all my foibles and work together... Although I really shouldn't, but I do because, like they say now, if you want to get a job, they just check you out anyway. So what's the point of me going? They're gonna find me if I go here's my professional page. I'm the admin, by the way. And you'll find me. Yeah. Um, so I'm just like I'm quite happy for people if they like like it. Send me a message there. You know, it's fine. I'm all right with it. So it yeah. stands your brisk Briscoe. Again, it's my face in black and white, but it's my face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Like I said we'll definitely um, have to do it again sometime as well. Just, just talk about films and I'll
1: be more than and, happy
0: with that. Great. Yeah, and like I said, I always do a. I know it's not really been much that's been out this year, but I always do a um, best films of the year awards kind of thing. So no, there's not going to be a lot to choose from, but I have to get your opinion on that as well. So you'd say yeah. Lighthouse and Parasite so
1: far. So far, those are the films this year that really, really blew me away. And I'm talking about this year. I've seen some films from the previous years only this year, but yeah. those two films have stuck with me. I'd say I liked Lighthouse just a bit better than Parasite, but you're looking at saying, like, I like I like Lighthouse 98 out of 100, and I like Parasite 97 out of 100. It's that close.
0: Yeah. I said, i got the Parasite Steel book. It's bloody beautiful. I haven't <laughs> seen Lighthouse yet, though. I, I have seen to it. Check it. No, no. I need oh, to check I it see. out. I said, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, isn't it? I didn't know it was a horror film, though, which is making me want to watch even more. It's in the horror section at HMB. It
1: isn't, is and isn't.
0: Yeah. Kind of more like a psychological, like,
1: mindfuck. Sort of. <laughs> I guess, I, I guess yeah. I'd put it that way. Um, it's more like a massive allegory for, I would say, maybe possibly homosexuality, to be honest. I wouldn't say that's a horror thing, but it's like a matter of allegory about sexual, um, you know, um, sexuality in the similar. But the performances alone are so good. Like, William Dafoe's amazing anyway. And Robert Pattinson, I've never really rated because I've only really ever knew him from Twilight and Remember Me and didn't really know with else. I, don't, I never watched Harry... I don't like oh, Harry Potter enough. either. Um, but I don't really know him for anything else. Um, and then I watched him in Lighthouse... And I've never—it's happened a few times. I think Daniel Radcliffe's a really good actor, uh, but again, I didn't watch Harry Potter much. I didn't like it, so I've only ever known him because of that. And this and the other, like he's grown on me. Like Daniel Radcliffe, I think is really good. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio grew up watching him in, like, Titanic. And he was good in that, but, like, I seen him in, like, when I saw him in Django Unchained and stuff, I was like, he's fucking phenomenal. And Robert Pattinson, just that one film alone of Lighthouse changed my perception of him completely. He's so good. He's so, so good in it. It's yes. like he nearly... He doesn't do it because he can't, but he nearly matches Dafoe. He nearly matches him. And to do that when you're up against Dafoe, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, coming
0: from like said so Twilight, he's just changed his whole perspective. Like I said, he's, he did Lighthouse and then Tenet if you haven't seen Tenet yet as well. I
1: haven't seen Tenet yet. No.
0: And then um like I said he's gone on to um become Batman, which is filming in Liverpool right now.
1: I've seen the pictures, it looks amazingly funny.
0: Yeah, so I mean I I saw the picture, I was like, Colin Farrell, I was like, What? Looks nothing like him, it's it's unreal, but I said I'm looking forward to it. again, I know you're not a massive DC fan, but you know, it's gonna be completely dark and I'm looking I, I, like, to it. I like
1: the Nolan films, but then again it's Nolan, so it's he, so always a comfortable pair of hands. Well I like
0: Christopher Nolan is highly regarded on our greatest movie ever's list. So.
1: Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I like I the, the Dark Knight. Batman Begins I thought was too dark, like I literally couldn't see anything. And yeah. um, what was the last one?
0: Uh, dark Knight Rises.
1: Dark Knight Rises, I thought was okay, but a proper letdown, but it was always gonna be, and I still can't get over my disappointment with it.
0: Dark Knight is like one of the greatest films ever made. Obviously, oh, it made our made our list. So, <laughs> But um, no, it's been a pleasure. Like, so We'll definitely do it again sometime when mm-hmm. all of our schedules free up and we can try and make it work again and no Zoom problems. But yeah, thank yeah, you very love much. You, thank you. Before we do finish today, I've got a special performance for you from his sold-out show for the Blue Balloon Theatre. Here is Anthony Briscoe and Dad Jokes. I hope you enjoy.
1: Loved and hated by millions, apparently invented by blokes, this is just a load of dad jokes. Did you hear what happened at the local zoo? They had too many penguins and didn't know what to do, so they rounded them all up and threw them into the lion's feeding trough. The frenzy went on for hours because they couldn't get the wrappers off. Loved and hated by millions, apparently invented by blokes, this is just a load of dad jokes. Two dogs go out drinking, all sorts of alcoholic stuff. They wake up the next day, one looks at the other and says, how do you feel? The other goes, rough. A cheese factory exploded in France. There was nothing left but debris. I threw my boomerang away. Why did I need it? And then it hit me. I went to a restaurant on the moon. It had great food and great beer. But I didn't stick around for long, no, because it had no atmosphere. And then I went to a wedding. It was beautiful. Even the cake was in tears. But I got let go of my favourite job the other day. As a human cannonball. I was fired. And why did the bike fall over? Well, it was just too tired. A horse walks into a bar, and the bar owner goes, wide, the long face? And he says that he tried to sue an airline company after he lost his luggage, but mm, sadly he lost his case. I threw out all my news pots of spices. Complete waste of time. I invited a mushroom to my party, well, he seemed like a fun guy. But I'm only friends with 25 letters of the alphabet, I don't know why. And when I saw I had grey hairs and my beard, I thought I was going to die. them a different colour. Look, if you think that's a boring joke at the expense of getting old, I have a boring life and a boring job. I work in a paper factory where my responsibilities are twofold. I robbed a calendar shop the other day. Wasn't one of my cleverest stunts. The police turned up. I got arrested. I only got away with 12 months. The police were then called to a nursery because a two-year-old was resisting arrest. They brought in an investigator. Yeah, it was just an alligator in a vest. Look, dad jokes aren't easy. I am trying my best. I wrote a song about a tortilla. Well, actually, it was more of a rap. I got asked to put the cat out, but I had no idea, someone set fire to the cat. Loved and hated by millions, apparently invented by blokes. This... well, this was just a load of dad jokes. But these dad jokes were all awful but I thought they were shareable and I wrote them originally on paper. So I'm sorry, they were terrible.